So welcome to night two of our mission. Uh, again, welcome online folks as well. And we're going to start this evening kind of like we did last night with uh, a little bit of evening prayer. So, come on up. Yeah, sure. Okay, sorry about that. I, I had this all set up ahead of time, and then uh, I, the website, I must have searched for something else. Uh, so we're going to do evening prayer like we did last night, and we'll begin with a, a short hymn that I'm just going to play for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. technology, huh? <laughs> Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see our God. The secret of the Lord is theirs. Their soul is Christ's abode. The Lord who left the heavens our life and peace to bring, to dwell in lowliness with men, their pattern and their king. We seek your presence, Lord, this grace to us impart. Make us a temple fit for you, a pure and lowly heart. We'll read Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor haughty my eyes. I have not gone after things too great, nor marvels beyond me. Truly, I have set my soul in silence and in peace. As a child has rest in its mother's arms, even so my soul. O Israel, hope in the Lord, both now and forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A reading from the book of Romans. By the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than one ought to think, but to think soberly, each according to the measure of faith that God has appropriated. Love one another with mutual affection. Anticipate one another in showing honor. Have the same regard for one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. This is how all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The Canticle of Mary. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. 
He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, will shall be, world without end. Amen. Let's turn to the Lord with our intercessions. The response is, make us truly your disciples. Not as the world gives, does God give peace. In humility of heart, we pray, make us truly your disciples. You put the needs of a sinful world before your own power and glory. Make us truly your disciples. You put the needs of tax collectors and prostitutes before your own reputation. Make us truly your disciples. You put the needs of the sick before your own privacy and relaxation. Make us truly your disciples. You put our need for life before your own. Make us truly your disciples. Let me take a moment for you to just in, in your own heart and in the silence of your own heart, lift up your own prayers and intentions tonight in prayer. We lift all of the prayers of our hearts and the needs of our families and friends and loved ones up to the Lord as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, just a one quick announcement that coming up next week, next week um, March 13th, Saturday, March 13th, uh, in the morning, we were going to have Mike Aquilina uh, giving a, two talks, beginning at 9 o'clock, on St. Joseph. This is the year of St. Joseph. Uh, some of you have, uh, in the parish have been doing the consecration to St. Joseph, so Mike Aquilina will be here on Saturday, March 13th at 9 a.m. here in the church doing a talk, uh, two talks, on St. Joseph. And again, uh, if you'd like to help support the mission financially on your way out, there's collection boxes uh, out before you get to either out, uh, outside door there, and you can drop your uh, offering in the collection box. We really do appreciate that. Uh, there's no prayer teams tonight. We will have prayer teams again tomorrow night uh, for those that wish to receive prayer. Check. Am I on? Okay. Uh, switching back and forth on the receiver. <laughs> well, it's good to see you all back again tonight. Did you have a good day? Great day. Nobody honked at me today. So that's the big news of tonight. 
which means I didn't honk at anybody else, right? Um, but uh, I'm, I'm actually trying to embrace some of what I invited you all to by not watching any TV, trying to stay away from media, things like that. Uh, so I, I was in my hotel room a lot today. I had a bunch of uh, some phone calls and some other work that I was doing. It was like, man, it got quiet. <laughs> Like quiet after a while. Like I felt like I needed to turn something on, just that background noise, but I never did. So thank God. Um, so I, I want to start tonight by just sharing some uh, kind of funny experiences that I've had over the last 12 to 18 months. And uh, s- some of the, I'm going to talk about this later tonight. And so uh, part of me wanted to open up with this because I want to make sure you understand what I'm talking about later because you may not have ever heard of these things. How many of you have heard of something called Exodus 90? Okay, so quite a, quite a few of you. Have anyone heard of 75 hard? Okay, so good. I'm, I'm glad I'm doing this because I want to fill you in on these things because when I talk about them later, it'll make sense. So Exodus 90, for those of you who are not familiar with it, it's a 90-day period of asceticism, prayer, and fellowship. So asceticism would be, you know, personal sacrifices like fasting would be a form of asceticism. Um, But in Exodus 90, you're, it's it's kind of ratcheting the the sacrifices up uh, in in a way that's almost extreme. (laughs) Uh, Particularly, one of the things you have to do every day for 90 days is take a cold shower, uh, which just sounds weird, like, I, when, I, when I first read it, I was like, what? Cold showers? <laughs> Who does that? Um, so 90 days, cold showers, you're fasting uh, and, you know, give, giving up lots of different things. No alcohol, no sweets for the whole 90 days. So it's not like typical Lent where you could, you know, uh, how many of you have the Sunday Lenten? You know, Sunday's not really a day of Lent. So you can eat whatever you gave up on Sunday. Yeah, a lot of people approach it like that. Exodus 90, you're not allowed to do that. It's like the whole 90 days has to be kind of pure to the asceticism. Uh, you can give yourself one, uh, what, what do they call it on Sunday? One freedom uh, on a Sunday. But it's one of the things that you've given up, not everything, right? So, um, so anyway, it's, it's pretty intense. Uh, and then you're... You're getting together every week. The fellowship part is you have a small group of other men that you're doing this with. And so you get together every week to support each other, to encourage each other, and I guess to commiserate, right? Uh, the group that I was in uh, back this, this past year, one of the guys, every time we would get together, he would, uh, uh, one, one of the guys in the group would say, I can't stop saying the F word every time I take a shower. <laughs> I was like, okay, wait a second. I think you're kind of defeating the purpose here. Maybe you need to turn it up just a little bit. Maybe not that cold, <laughs> right? Okay, so that's what Exodus 90 is. This is for a whole 90 days. And they, they typically have, you know, a couple of times during the year, typically during Lent. But you're actually starting 45 days early, Right? And then they have a period in the fall leading up to Christmas where, so they have those kind of two seasons where, where they will do Exodus 90. 75 hard, 
I almost wonder if it was some guy out in the secular world that heard about Exodus 90 and said, well, that's really cool. We should create something around that just for regular people. Nothing, nothing about faith. Because 75 hard, you're taking cold showers. You're, you're working out twice a day. Two 45-minute workouts, and one of them has to be outside. So if it's raining, get outside and do your workout. If it's snowing, get outside and do your workout. Um, it, 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 it doesn't matter. Like, and that's the whole point of it is you're, you're choosing for these 75 days, you're doing this 75 hard. And, and it's five things. Two 45-minute workouts, no alcohol, sweets. Uh, you got to be on some type of a diet, uh, which I, I did intermittent fasting. Um, you have to read 10 pages of some type of improvement book every day, and you have to drink a gallon of water, a gallon of water every day. So you, you download an app on your phone, and every single night you've got your checklist, and you've got to do those things uh, and check them off. Or if you hit, I, I had my timer set for 11.30 p.m., uh, and some, some nights I was literally doing my second 45-minute workout in my garage uh, up till 11.30, frantically racing, trying to get my 45 minutes in before my timer went off. Because once you start, if you change your, your end of day time, you have to start all over. The, the app won't let you make any changes to what you committed to, right? So here, here, here's the funny part of this, okay? So in, in the last 18 months, this is a little scary, I have done Exodus 90 twice and 75 hard once. I don't know why. I don't, don't ask me why because I, I, I still can't figure out why, why I did these things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the cold showers were brutal. Um, but, but here's... One of the things that happened when I was doing 75 hard, so th- this was, I, I did the two Exodus 90s, you know, for Lent, the first Lent, and then for Advent. And then my son, uh, who was getting married this past October, wanted to do 75 hard to get ready for his wedding. And I decided I would do 75 hard with him to offer it up, to pray for him and his new wife. And I thought that, that would be kind of a cool thing that he and I could share in, Okay. I had no idea. I, I thought, well, if I could do Exodus 90, I should be able to do 75 hard, right? <laughs> it was so hard. It's like one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Uh, and, and like I said, there was, you know, a busy s- schedule like mine. I don't, I don't know what your workload is like, but finding time for two 45-minute workouts, my poor wife, because a lot of times she had to help me be able to get stuff done because I just, I had to go do a second workout instead of help her with something, you know? And um, <laughs> so I'm probably halfway through Exodus 90 and uh, I actually got my wife interested in working out. Like she started working out a lot with me during this time. And so one, one night she said, why don't we go to the gym together? So this was around dinner time. We were going to go, you know, on the early side and then we were going to actually grab something to eat for us and for the kids and bring it home. So we went to the gym, the, the YMCA, where we have a membership. And we're working out together, and she said, I'll just do whatever you're doing. So I'm sharing with her my little work. I have like these six exercises that I do in a cycle 
And what, any, you ever heard of skaters? It's, it's a kind of exercise where you're kind of jumping back and forth, jumping back and forth. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're in about our fifth of six sets. So this is the end of the workout. Like I'm almost, I'm actually past 45 minutes. So I'm, I'm completely warmed up, right? And we're, we get to the third thing on, on the cycle, which is the skaters. And the two of us are standing against the back wall of the YMCA, which is a total mirror. Like everything, we're just watching ourselves jump back and forth in a mirror, right? And all of a sudden, as I come over this way, like, I felt like somebody shot a gun in my calf muscle. I mean, it was like, and I mean, I could, I could hear it. I could feel it all at the same time. Like, something just exploded in my leg. And I didn't feel a lot of pain. I just fell over. Like, my leg just stopped working. And so, there I am looking at myself in the mirror, you know, like, feeling really fit and in shape. And I'm showing off to my wife all at the same time. Like, and I fall over, I knock over some other thing that was, you know, a rack of something, and, um, you know, so it makes this big, huge noise, and uh, so then I'm like, I'm embarrassed, and I immediately got up, like, what in the world just happened? My leg just completely gave out, and so, like an idiot, I tried to just stand up and walk, and then I fell over again, uh, and I'm like, what is going on? And uh, so, has anyone ever torn a calf muscle? Uh, I, I ended up reading about this later. That, 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 that's, if, you, if you look it up on the internet, you know, torn calf muscle, it literally says, it feels like somebody shot a shotgun into your calf. And I was like, wow, that's exactly how I would have described what happened. Uh, somebody took a gun and just shot my leg. And um, so the next morning... Uh, you know, I, I ended up having to go to the hospital later that night. I, I thought maybe I broke something because I, I, I couldn't, no weight bearing. I couldn't put any weight on at all. And, um, and, and it started swelling up really badly. And uh, so we ended up going to the urgent care clinic, blah, blah, blah. They gave me some anti-inflammatory stuff. And they told me like, no, you just tore your calf muscle. Uh, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take six to eight weeks to recover. Uh, so I'm like, holy smoke. And I'm right in the middle of 75 hard, you know. So I call my two buddies and my son, who are all supporting each other with 75 hard, you know. And I explain to them, I, I, I don't know, I'm not going to be able to do my workout tomorrow like I tore my calf muscle. And guess what they all said to me? What's wrong with your arms? Oh, I still remember sitting there on the phone talking to my son and he was like, come on, don't be a pansy ass. I mean, this is my son, okay. Uh, he was like, come on, Dad. Get out there and get her done. And he's like, can you limp? And I was like, no, I can't bear any weight at all. And he's like, well, you got your other leg. Like, can you get a crutch or something? Can you walk on? Like, no sympathy whatsoever. So I finished 75 hard with the last six weeks with my leg practically Im immobile, uh, doing exercises and everything with just one, one leg. Uh, it was a pretty crazy time. But what a beautiful thing when we got close to, uh, got close to Aaron's wedding and I had done that whole period of time, those 75 days, and I'd done it with him 
And even in the midst of some difficulty and hardship, I didn't, I didn't give up, right? Like I, I, I thought about it actually. I was thinking really hard about, there's no way that I can do this uh, crippled, but actually I could. And I found ways to, to do workouts and, and to do a lot of things um, and, and keep going, you know. So uh, I, I wanted to start with that because later when I refer to these things, you're going to understand what I'm talking about, okay? Uh, and then one, one other thing, which in some ways just sets a context for tonight, okay? Um, do, do any of you travel for work or have, have traveled? Okay, not, not a lot of, uh, no frequent travelers. Um, I, I travel way too much. Uh, um, I, I think I'm at like 870,000 miles right now on United, lifetime miles. And I'm like, I think I might make it to a million, you know? Like, I, I can't wait to, to that day when they, they, they come and sit next to you on the seat on the plane, like, hello, Mr. Beckman, you're, you're a million mile flyer. And then what is that going to mean, right? Like, absolutely nothing, you know? Um, but anyway, so this is going back like 10, maybe 11 years, okay? Do you remember back in the day when they didn't have boarding passes on your phone? Does anyone remember this? Like this, I know I'm, I'm stretching our, our history, right, uh, to go back so far. Uh, do you realize that like, that was only in like 2007, I think it was 2007, that Continental, they were the first ones to introduce electronic boarding passes that, that you could pull up on your phone. They didn't have apps yet, but... So that, that was kind of the beginning of that. And like now, like almost everybody does, does all of those things on their phone. But so this, this was back in that time when that transition was happening. Now on your phone, I would have gotten all kinds of messages about what happened on my phone. But back then, right, if you're not paying attention and you're not looking for, for signs, you, you could miss things, Right. So I, I was on a flight once where I had a late, I had a, like a, I, was, I was switching planes, you know, what, what do they call it? A connecting flight. And I forget where I was, like Chicago or, or some larger airport like that. I, I flew in and on my second boarding pass, it said the gate number, which was just numbers away from where I was. You know, like may, maybe five or six gates. I'm like, oh, I'm in the same terminal. I don't. Uh, I've, I've got all kinds of times. Like it was, it was less than an hour, but I, I'm in no hurry because I'm in the same terminal, right? So I just take my time. I get off the plane. I go to the bathroom. Uh, I, I get distracted by the shop outside the bathroom and start, start looking at some books. And, and then I was like, oh, I want a cup of coffee. So then I, I walk down the opposite direction to uh, a coffee place to get a cup of coffee. And, you know, and then I'm kind of moseying my way back to the place where I'm getting on my next flight, only to find out that the gate has been changed, right? Now, again, like now, I would have gotten a notification, you know, on my phone telling me your gate's changed. My boarding pass would have, electronic boarding pass would have been updated and wouldn't have come up with a new gate. But back then, that didn't happen, you know. So I, I was in like the C terminal and I had to get to the E terminal, which was like on the other side of the airport, you know? And so then, then all of a sudden I'm like, it, they're boarding now. Like I was moseying up to just get on the plane and now I've got to run to the, to the other side of the planet to, 
to get to the e-terminal and, and find my gate. So I'm racing through the airport and, uh, you know, like trying, trying to carry, carry my carry-on bag and just running like crazy. And I get, I finally get to the terminal. Uh, I see where the gate is. I'm running to the gate. I see them shut the door as, as I'm still a ways away. And I finally get up there, the, the, the door shut, but, but I watched it close from a distance. And, and so I'm saying like, no, 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 please, please, please. I got to get on that plane. And they're like, sorry, buddy. I'm like, come on, I watch you just close it. And, and they're just like, no, you missed it. Like we, we've, already, we've already closed the door in the plane and the jetway pulled away from, uh, is pulled away from the plane. Like you can't, you can't get on. And I tried, you know, for another minute or two to, to argue with them to push because I was, wherever I was going, I don't, even, I don't even remember now, but wherever I was going, I really needed to get there. Like if, uh, if I didn't make it, I was actually missing a talk that I was giving or missing something, something that I was doing. So I finally had to resign myself to, I, I missed my flight. And uh, so let's start talking about what are my options now to get to where I need to go. And there weren't any more. There were no more options that day. So not only did I miss my flight, I ended up having to get a hotel room, spend the night and take a flight the next morning. And the thing that I was actually going to was practically over. So it was almost like flying there the next morning was like getting on another plane and flying back home. Uh, I, it's like, not only did I miss my flight, I missed what I was going to. It's a huge lesson in life, isn't it? Like when, when we're not paying attention, this is what can happen sometimes. Uh, and and I, I would say it's kind of two things because I think there were announcements being made. I think they might have even said over the loudspeaker numerous times, like, if you're on flight so-and-so and so-and-so to such-and-such, you know, your gate has been changed. But I was oblivious. I wasn't paying attention to any announcements. I wasn't, I didn't go up and look at the monitors to check my flight and make sure that it was going to the same gate, right? So I, I wasn't seeing, I wasn't hearing the signs, and because I wasn't paying attention to those things, I not only missed the flight, I missed what I was going for. I, I share the story because at, at the beginning of tonight because I, I, there, there's going to be a theme tonight that, that I want to talk a little bit about. Seeing and hearing. Th these are actually critical earmarks of discipleship. If, if we want to be a disciple, we, we actually have to be paying attention. We, we have to be seeing things and hearing things for, for what they really are. And if, if we're not paying attention to those signs, many times we may, we may miss the transportation. But where's the transportation going? It's taken us, hopefully, to heaven. Uh, I mean, God forbid that you'd get to the end of things and actually miss getting in, right? Sounds a little bit like the scripture passage, right? Where the people who are invited to the banquet, 
uh, and end up not, they're not in because they weren't dressed right. They, 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 didn't, they, they weren't prepared to be there. So critical, art, critical earmarks of discipleship, seeing and hearing. Okay, so let me, let me kind of jump into tonight. Uh, I, I've, I shared about this a little bit, you know, over the, over the mass announcements and, and even a little bit last night. Like the last 12 to 18 months have just been this kind of remarkable, I, I don't even know what I would call it. Because um, it, it wasn't like a, a, a conversion. I've already had a conversion. I've been, I think, following God my, you know, ever since I was a young kid. Um, but there's definitely been some type of awakening or deepening of faith in me over the last 12 to 18 months. And it's, it's interesting how the pandemic was kind of like, uh, it, it came well after this had all started in, in, my, in my heart. And it almost fueled it. Like there, there was a way that it contributed in a really positive way to what God was doing. But I, I think it actually started for me when I did Exodus 90 for the first time. It's like oh, over these last 18 months, like I said, I did Exodus 90 twice, 75 hard ones. And, and I'm not sharing those things like trying to say like, oh, look at me. Look at, look at how holy I am. I'm not, I'm, trust me, I'm, I'm not meaning it like that at all. Uh, if anything, I'm almost joking about it. Like what an idiot. Like what person in 18 months would do all three of those things? Um, not, in, in some ways, it wasn't very smart. But here's what it's led to. There's been an increase in my prayer and, and my experience of prayer in, in, in ways that I almost can't put into words. Like, the, like the, the little bit that I gave in those different things, Exodus 90, 75 hard, it, it actually opened up new capacity in me for things spiritual, if that makes sense. Right? Increase in prayer... There's definitely been an increase in fasting, new experiences of growth and transformation. Uh, I'm seeing things change in me, in the way that I relate to my wife, and the way that I relate to my kids, most importantly, because those are the most intimate relationships, you know, and those are the hardest to hide the real me. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Right? Like when I'm at work or when I'm out with other people, like I, I put on the nice gym, you know, but sometimes at home you just be, you just be who you are, right? Um, and there, there, were, there were times where the way that I would treat my own family was not good with uh, anger and, and, and things like that in my life. And I've, I'm just experiencing this huge surges of growth and, and transformation. Um, are any of you familiar with Brian Regan, the comedian? You know, he has that one joke, something changed, you know, like pe- people on an escalator, they don't, they don't know when the escalator ends, uh, or the, the walking sidewalks, you know, something changed. Like, that's what I feel like I've been experiencing. Something has changed in me, and om- almost in a way that I can't completely put Uh, my finger on. But the key takeaway for me has been I had so much more to give than I was giving. in, In some ways, I really had settled. 
I, I had settled for, as I, as a, particularly as I started to get older, I settled for a level of comfortable. It, it may be, I may have still been doing more than the average person, but it was still comfortable for me. Does that make sense? And when, when I did all of those things over the last 18 months, like the biggest thing that I learned is, holy smoke, I, I have so much more capacity to give of myself in ways that I'm not giving right now. I, I, I think actually that I'd grown a little soft. I, I kind of liked comfortable. And, and almost gravitated away from inconvenience and struggle. I started to notice, actually, as, I, as I've been going through this past year and a half, I started to notice that I, I even had this almost sense of irritation with anything that got in my way and slowed me down or delayed, delayed me. You know, it's like if, some, if somebody on the highway got in front of me and they were going slower than I wanted to go, like I would get mad at them because, like, don't they know how fast I need to go? Why aren't they driving as fast as I need to go? I, I guess that's what, I don't know what the back of those thoughts are, right? I just know that you got angry, frustrated. I had actually begun... to allow a certain permissiveness in my life towards sin. You ever justified sin? Like, I shouldn't get that angry with my kids, but they shouldn't do such stupid things. If they weren't so rebellious, I wouldn't have to get so mad. It's okay if I watch that. It's not going to challenge my virtue. Over time, a lot of those little choices over time actually started gaining some momentum. And not only had I grown soft, but I, I think I had actually allowed things to creep into my mind and creep into my heart that was actually weakening the foundation and weakening me. I would look in the mirror and actually say, I don't know if I like who I've become. And it was these beautiful experiences of kind of stepping into something that was so uncomfortable and stretched me so much that like shown a bright light on what am I doing here? Like I, I know better than this. It was never a judgmental thing or a condemning thing that I even felt from God. It was actually a really beautiful thing. Like, and this is what I, I had said that line last night. God loves us so much that he will go wherever we are. But he loves us too much to leave us there. The, the minute that we encounter God, he's invested in our transformation because he wants us to become something not just better than ourselves, 
the, the, the whole proposition of faith is, is God is not wanting us to be nice people. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's not just trying to get us to be nice people. He's trying to get us to become divine, which is not what we are. We're made of human material, and he wants us to become divinity. So don't get too scared. I know some of you might be squirming in your chairs a little bit right now. Uh, some of the husbands, because some of the wives are like, I think it'd be great if my husband did Exodus 90. <laughs> you know, like, maybe you should think about this. Uh, listen, this is just fundamentally a true statement. God has a limitless capacity to meet us exactly where we are. And he's never going to stretch you farther than what you're able to endure. He'll stretch you pretty far, and he might even stretch you to pain. But he's not going to stretch you so far that you can't handle it. He has a limitless capacity to meet us exactly where we are, but the minute that he encounters us, he expects us to follow him. And guess what? He's not standing still. You know, when Jesus walked along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he was walking up to the different apostles, James and John, Peter and Andrew, and he said, come follow me, what, what do you think happened? Why, why do you think they threw down their nets and followed him? Because he was already gone. He said, come follow me, and then he kept walking down the shore. And they're looking at each other, and they're looking at their father, and they're looking at their nets, and they're like, what are we going to do? We've got to do something. So they throw their nets down, and they start running after him. This is the way Jesus always is. He's walking. He's, he's going where he's going, and he says, come follow me. And, and if you want to say yes to that invitation, you've got to go after him. Again, fundamental truth here. God will not settle for where you are. He's always moving. He's always inviting. But it's, and he's always wanting us to follow him. But he's moving. And if we want to keep up with him, we've got to go. So maybe all you can do is baby steps. Do those Right? And again, this is God's limitless capacity to mean every single one of us where we are. So it, it may not be for you to jump into something like Exodus 90. What could you do? Because I, I am convinced that every single one of us here, every single Catholic in the church today, there's more that we can give there's more that we can offer of ourselves to the Lord. And let's just think baby steps. Right now, if you're not really praying at all outside of going to Mass, what if you started praying every day for just five, ten minutes? Just start with something simple. If you're already praying consistently every day for some period of time, what if you prayed for more time? If you're going to Mass sporadically, not even every Sunday? What if you started trying to go to Mass every Sunday? 
If you're going to Mass every Sunday, what if you tried to add a weekday Mass or two? You see what I'm saying? Like, no matter where you are, God's capacity to meet you where you are is limitless. But where you are, what, what would be the stretch for you to do a little bit more? Because I think all of us have more that we can do. Start praying. Go to Mass more. Pray with your family more. Read the Bible more. Join a group. Get involved in a Bible study. Join a discipleship group. Be a part of the youth ministry in the parish. The, the point is, you and me, we all, we all have more to give than we think we do. It's like, it's like that, you know, if you've ever played a sport, like I, I still remember back in high school having a football coach, you know, that we'd, we'd get into the second half and towards the fourth quarter and everyone's just dying, tired, and you, you're, you're, you're close, but you're starting to lose. And, and, and the coach would call a timeout and he's yelling at us in the huddle, dig deep, dig deep. You ever heard those words from a coach, you know? And, and what happens when, when somebody, like, yells at you like that? I, I don't know where you find it from, but you find something in you to, to, to you, you dig deep and you find it and you pull it out and you, and you go back out there and, you know, sometimes you win the game, right? We have more to give than we're giving right now. You all know what you're, what you're currently doing. My, my encouragement to you would be, where could you give more? Now, I, I did talk about how God won't, he, he never stretches us beyond what we can endure. The, the, the way that I kind of think about it is in zones, right? Like, I, I think all of us have a comfort zone, and that's where we like to live. But unfortunately, we don't typically grow in a comfort zone. Where you grow, where, where you actually train and advance is in what's called the, the, the learning zone or the stretch zone. So it's something that stretches us out of our comfort, stretches us into uncomfortable, stretches us into, uh, you know, having to put a little effort into it. Now, you can go too far. I would call that the panic zone. Like if you pull somebody so far that they, it, it like makes them panic, okay, you've, you, you've probably stretched too far, right? So th that would be the way that I would encourage you to think about this. Um, even during this Lent, you know, it, could you take a little assessment of yourself and just ask some basic questions like, what am I currently giving to God in prayer, in pursuit of the spiritual life, in my relationship with him, in the ways that I'm trying to grow in virtue, where could I give more? One, one of the things that I just know to be true because I've experienced it over and over and over again, God, I'm going to have you say this out loud because it's just such a powerful truth. God can never be outdone. Say this. God can never be outdone in generosity. In generosity, right? So if I give to God, like if I find, if I dig deep and I find something in myself to give to God, guess what? 
I'm going to get far more in return than what I actually gave. It, it, it just, I've experienced it over and over and over again with tithing, with giving my time to other people, uh, serving other people, serving the poor. It, like in all of the situations, this principle bears true. God cannot be outdone in generosity. So whatever more you give, you'll get more back. Okay, I, I, I want to have uh, a little discussion like we did last night, so I'm going to give you a couple of questions, but let me, let me just have a random tangent for a second. Uh, I, I talked earlier about seeing and hearing and how these are like these critical earmarks of discipleship. And sometimes in order to see and to hear, you've you got to shine really bright lights onto things, Right? And, and I think of that many times like the truth. When, when you shine the truth on something, it, ha- it has a way of penetrating it with light where things become clear. And so I, I just want to shed some light on, on this one thing in a way that I think might be helpful for all of us. When it comes to following Christ and being a disciple, one of the things that is just an absolute fundamental necessity you have to be real and honest about sin. All of us. I, I shared how one of, the, one of the enlightenments for me over the last 12 to 18 months has been kind of an awareness about how I, I allowed myself some permissiveness towards sin in a way that I think was not good. It, 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 it had very negative effects on me. I think it had negative effects on my relationship with my children. I think it had a negative effect on my relationship with my wife and my marriage. And had I not woken up and, and let light shine in that area, who knows what could have happened over the next five to ten years as every single one of my children become adults. My oldest is 24, my youngest is 14. I'm at a critical time in their life where the person that I need to be in their life is no longer their daddy, but their adult friend. Still their dad, but I need, to, I need to have an adult relationship with all of my kids as they become adults. And the sin that I was allowing in my life would have jeopardized all of those relationships. We've got to be honest about our sin. I had let some areas of sin creep into my heart over time, and I believe God has made me aware of that. And there is a way that you can be kind of dismissive with it, right? They're not that bad. They're, they're not the really serious sins. So I think there's two possible, well, actually three, three dangers that can happen here. One we become kind of despondent with sin. Like if, if you've struggled with sin for a really long time, the same sins, you, you actually can find yourself somewhat despondent in the struggle and, and start to think, I can never really change. 
this is the same sin as I always confess every time I go to confession, and I'm doomed to be stuck here forever. I was, or I was born this way, right? This is just the way I've always been. It's just who I am, right? So I, I, I just, again, want to shed some light on, that is a lie. That is just, it's not a true statement. We, we are never saddled with sin in a way that God would just doom us to be stuck with it. I mean, what would be the point of Jesus dying on the cross if his death on the cross couldn't have been decisive for any and every sin? So if, if there's something happening in our life where, we're, where we are stuck, it's more operator error than it is God, right? So we're, we're somehow not accessing grace and not accessing what God is making available to us and, and, and even fellowship and support from other people um, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit, which I'll talk more about tomorrow. But I, if, if, if that speaks to anyone here tonight, if you've struggled for years with certain sins or with a certain sin or a certain area of struggle, um, I, I want to speak some hope to you. <laughs> like, you do not need to be doomed to be stuck in that for the rest of your life. And if you somehow have allowed that to creep into your thinking, it's a lie. It is not true. One of the biggest areas where this happens for a lot of men is in the area of sexuality. Modern statistics say that two-thirds, almost 68% of men, married men, have an active struggle with pornography and masturbation. 68%. That was a study done by Covenant Eyes just two years ago. A lot of those men are leaders, sometimes in churches. Some of them are pastors. They, they did a separate study that was just of... Uh, pastors in both evangelical, Protestant, and Catholic realms. Guess what percent of pastors had an active struggle with pornography? 68%. It was no different. So despondent. I can never change. I'm never going to get over this. This is just who I am. This is just what I have to deal with, right? So that's one danger, becoming despondent. The other danger, though, is becoming cavalier. I don't really need to worry about that. It's not that bad of a sin. Isn't real, really, in the end, isn't everyone going to go to heaven there, there, there's a very predominant way of thinking that hell is a very empty place and not very many people go there. I don't know. That is, that is actually exactly the opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus' own words were, the road to hell is wide and the path to heaven is very narrow and very steep and hard to climb. 
So I, 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 don't, I don't know if some new reality could emerge that would completely contradict what Jesus himself said. But again, it, it would be a lie to think that my sins really aren't that serious. I, I, I don't really need to stop doing them because I can just go to confession again. Right? Confession isn't a therapy clinic. Like, we don't go to confession to, to get rid of our guilt so we feel better until the next time we go to confession. We go to confession to experience conversion and grace for the journey of transformation. So if, if, if we're not confessing our sins with the intent to not sin anymore, we're actually missing the point, Right? So become despondent in our sin and, and think we can't ever change. Become cavalier. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, my, my, my sin's no big deal, right? The third danger, though, is you start to have some moral success. You start to grow in some areas of virtue and then somehow appoint yourself the judge of everybody else. <laughs> Does anyone know these, ty these types of people? Um, I, I have a lot of people in my area of the world that seem to know what it looks like to be the best Catholic. And, and they're constantly telling people how they're doing Catholic wrong. You know, every, everything from the way that they receive communion to what kind of mass they go to to how they pray. If you don't do it a certain way, you're not doing it right. Okay? Uh, the Catholic Church is a really, really big umbrella. And there's room for lots of varied expressions of faith in that big umbrella. Uh, so that, that kind of, uh, I mean, first of all, that kind of approach to life can be very Pelagian. Do you know what Pelagian is? It's like, it's all my human effort. And I'm, I'm you know, like a lot, a lot of people who, they, they kind of make some advances in, in the moral life and growing in virtue, but a lot on their own effort. You, you, ever, you ever heard of the term sourpuss spirituality? They're kind of angry people, kind of irritated people all the time. Do you, do you know what I mean? Uh, and their, their advances actually aren't rooted in authentic joy. Like if, if you're finding yourself growing and and growing in virtue, growing in character, and then being angry about it. Something's wrong. Like, authentic virtue is rooted in real joy. So, the, the, advance in the spiritual life is actually something that should make us more joyful beings. We should be more fun to be around when we grow in virtue and character. So anyway, like I said, this was a bit of a tangent, but I felt what, like with what we were talking about tonight, important to talk about. If, if you let true light into your heart and are honest with yourself and there's real sin there, don't let anyone tell you that it's not serious. And if you find it, bring it to Jesus. Because the bottom line is serious sin and serious prayer cannot coexist. 
there's more that we have to give. That's the theme of tonight. <clears throat> but the fundamental starting point is on the other side of the struggle with more serious sin. So if, if you're in a place where you're still struggling with some serious area of sin, you've, you've got to deal with that first before God can kind of bring you to these new, these, these new advances. Okay, we're going to take some time to just talk. Let me, I'll do what I did last night. Well, I'll give you a question, give you a few minutes, and I'll give you the second one. So as I listen tonight, what's moving me? What, what am I hearing that, that's making me think perhaps, or perhaps convicting me? Um, what, what's sticking tonight as, as, as you listen to what I'm talking about? Let's take a few minutes to just talk about what's, what's something that's kind of jumping out to you about what we've been talking about tonight. As you're reflecting on what kind of stuck out to you tonight, uh, second question you can kind of move to in your conversation how am I being moved to give more? Is, is there some area in my life where I feel like God's moving, moving me in my heart to give more? Let me just give you the third question because it's so closely connected. I don't want to wait. So is there some area in my life that God's, you know, moving in my heart where I'm, I'm kind of like feeling inspired I want to give more? And then what are two, one or two baby steps you could take to start moving in that direction? Okay, so those are the last two questions. I want to wrap up tonight uh, kind of setting up tomorrow. Uh, so we've, we talked last night about how there's more hard uh, tonight, but there's more that we have to give. Uh, and ho hopefully, I, I really mean this more as an inspiration. Uh, I, I think uh, we all need a little fire under us in some ways uh, that we, we have more to give than we think we do. And kind of like the coach on the sideline, you know, kind of yelling at his football players, dig deep, dig deep. You got more in you than you think you do. Uh, I think sometimes we need that, right? And that, that's really what tonight was meant to be. Tomorrow, though, is... Uh, kind of the, 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 the most uh, joyful of the three topics. There's more that God has to give. And I, I want to kind of set that up a little bit by just sharing a little bit about my own personal story, um, which I'm, I'm going to do really quickly. Uh, when, when I was just six months old, my, my dad was... You know, a, a lot of people just got really scared there. Like, oh my God, he's going to do this really fast. And we just went all the way back to six months old. <laughs> I didn't realize how that sounded until it came out of my mouth. Um, my, my dad was, was tragically injured in this kind of freak accident that left him paralyzed from the neck down. And so really, I was just an infant. Uh, but, for, you know, for like the next nine, ten years of my life, like it was just complete chaos. My, my dad went through 33 major surgeries trying to fix the, the, the back injury, and, and then he developed all kinds of other problems uh, that they had to do operations for. Uh, my, my, one of my other sisters was born, when, when she was born, she was several years older than me, but she was born with cerebral palsy. Uh, she had a stroke in the birth canal, and 
when she when she was born she just had one leg shorter than the other and and some other physical challenges so my whole childhood she was in and out of hospitals having different surgeries and operations and things trying to help help her uh when when i was eight years old my sister who's two years older than me died suddenly of a rare disease called rise syndrome uh, she was sick with the flu and my mom gave her aspirin not knowing that she shouldn't do that and she was dead within 24 hours and um shortly after my sister died my mom had a nervous breakdown because she felt like she killed her own daughter and um so she just kind of disappeared and went into a mental hospital all of us kids got kind of farmed out to different relatives and uh the the place the place where i was sent um i had some really bad things happen to me when i was there you know for about six months uh, that have scarred me for the rest of my life um and you know, so like a tragic childhood, right? And lots of lots of things that I've had to deal with over over the years because of all of those things. But uh, something amazing happened when I was about ten. Uh, my mom was at mass with all of us actually one Sunday, um, and when you came into mass, people were trying to hand out this flyer, uh, which my mom didn't take. And then after mass, somebody gave, stood up and made an announcement about what was on the flyer, which my mom really didn't want to listen to. Uh, and so she started getting us kids out of the pew to leave during their announcement. But then when you got out to the gathering space, people were handing out the flyer again, uh, which she didn't take. Uh, and then you got out to the parking lot and there was people standing in the parking lot handing out more flyers. And she was just like, she took the flyer because if I, if I don't take the flyer, someone else is going to offer it to me before I even get to my car. Uh, but she, she didn't even really read what the flyer was about um, until we got home. But there was some seminar that was being done the next Saturday at the church called the Abundant Living Seminar. And uh, it, was, it was some guy was talking about... Uh, John 10, 10, you know, I came that you might have life and have it to the full, have it, have it abundantly. And um, like I said, my mom brings a flyer home, you know, at first it's left in the car and then later it ends up brought into the house. But for whatever reason, I think maybe Holy Spirit, uh, it just kept landing in places wherever she was so that it would just be in front of her and she would see it and would get annoyed again and upset, you know, um, I think she would tell the story how she th thought that she kept throwing it away and somehow it just kept ending up back on the counter or by the phone or whatever. So finally, you know, after she'd seen it for about the 15th time, she finally really reads it. It's like, what is this flyer? It just keeps showing up in front of me everywhere. Uh, so she reads it and the more that she reads, the more angry she gets. It, it's, it's saying things like, God has invited us to experience abundant life. He wants us to have life to the full in all of its richness and all of its splendor. And, you know, so th this is her now on the other side of a nervous breakdown, being in a mental hospital for six months. 
uh, and now kind of resorting to alcoholism. She just kind of locked herself in her room pretty much every night and just drank herself to sleep. Um, she's reading this and is thinking about her life and saying, whoever is putting this seminar on obviously has, doesn't know anything about what's going on in my life because this is an abundant life. This, this isn't life in all of its riches. So she made a split-second decision to call and get a babysitter so that she could go to the seminar and tell the speaker what a joke it was. So she lined up a babysitter for all of us kids. There were six of us. And she goes all day Saturday to the seminar. Uh, she made it about two-thirds of the way through the morning before she got so mad she couldn't handle it. And she went up to yell at the speaker and kind of tell them what it is during one of the breaks. And uh, there was a line. So can you imagine being really mad about something and wanting to yell at somebody and then having to wait in line for your turn? So she's standing there, and the longer she waited, the more angry she got. So by the time it was finally her turn, and she, it, she's walking up to this guy, and by the way, his name was Jim Blessing. Jim Blessing uh, and the Abundant Living Seminars. Um, but as she gets up close to him, she just, out of, you know, her anger got the best of her, she throws her binder that they, all the papers that they had given them for the day were in this binder. She throws the binder at him. The, 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 clicks, the clips break open and all the paper falls out on the floor. And so he he doesn't know, know what to do and she starts ranting at him and so he, he he decides to dodge the conversation and get down on his hands and knees and start putting her binder back together so while she's ranting and yelling at him he's organizing her book he finally stands up and she about is about finished and he just looks at her and says ma'am I, I don't know your situation. I, 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 I don't know anything about you. I've never met you. But I do know that everything in this binder is straight from the Bible. And it's true. It is true. Well, my mom was just beside herself. She didn't know she didn't know what to, to say. She, she goes home and she asks the babysitter if they can stay and she drives down the street to a Denny's restaurant. She, we, we lived in Phoenix, Arizona at the time. And she, she grabs a Bible, which she had to go digging around the house to find a Bible because we didn't, we didn't read the Bible in our house. And she, she had a search for it on a shelf in, in like some back, uh, you know, den or something. But she gets her Bible, she gets the binder, she goes to Denny's restaurant, and she starts going through the binder. And when she sees a verse, she goes and finds, goes and sees if the verse is really in the Bible. She did this for hours. Yeah, I mean, you cannot do this. You, you can't read the Bible for hours and not have the Word of God actually start to penetrate your heart, right? So at a certain point, she gets up out of her booth 
And again, she just, for hours, had read one scripture after another. She just gets out of her booth. And, and at this point, it's, it's late. It's like two in the morning. So there's not very many people, but there still were some. But she got down on her knees in Denny's restaurant in the middle of Phoenix, Arizona, and just lifts up her hands and says, God, if this stuff is all real, if you're really real, then come into my life. My life is a mess. My mom changed that night. Like something, I was only nine years old, but something changed in her. Uh, I, I, I have memories as a kid of sitting on the floor outside her door, crying, knocking on the door, and no one ever answering for hours. Like m most of my childhood. And now all of a sudden she's making meals for us. She's reading stories to us. She's reading the Bible to us. She started going to a prayer group and a, and a prayer meeting at our, at our church. Like something just dramatically changed and it's kept getting better and better and better in the coming days. And so weeks later, when she said one night, hey, I'm going to a special prayer group tonight. Would anyone want to go? Guess what all of us kids said? Four, four of us anyway. Let's go. And I, I, I don't think, I mean, I, like I said, I was only nine, nine and a half. Um, I, I don't think it was a conscious thing like, I like the change in you. I can see conversion in you and I'm attracted to the conversion. It wasn't like that, that conscious. But as a kid, I, I loved what I was seeing. I loved the new mom better than the old one. And if she was going to the prayer meeting where a lot of this stuff happened, I wanted to go check it out. You know. Well, that night, she wasn't going to the prayer meeting at our Catholic church. The whole prayer group at the Catholic church went to the Pentecostal prayer group that night because there was some special out-of-town speaker. There was over a thousand people at this thing. And we get in there, and we're, we're, we're sitting, you know, somewhere towards the back, and uh, this guy up front is just preaching. He's got a Bible in his hand. He's waving the Bible. He's racing back and forth, just preaching his heart out. Uh, and, and then at a certain point, he says, I'll tell you tomorrow. I'll finish the story tomorrow, okay? Why don't we close with a glory be? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.